0: Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, what's new this week?
1: The big four are going after cloud accounting again and small business again. Small business accounting and the big four? Wow. Historically, I think they've tried this a few times, right?
0: I've seen some news in the past about them getting into small business in Australia, uh, New Zealand. I mean, that makes more sense because... The big four are not as big there, but I really haven't heard much about this in the U.S., so I'm curious to uh, hear about what's going on.
1: So two articles this week. So um, one with KPMG, another one with Deloitte. KPMG, a few months back, purchased a cloud bookkeeping system called Bookly. And so this system was kind of like a hybrid. It's accounting software, but it also was combined with maybe some in-house accountants and bookkeepers type of a service. KPMG purchased that. They've relaunched it now and they call it KPMG Spark. This article was uh December 7th. So this just got announced uh last week. They're really coming down, they're trying to come down market and they want to offer like a range of services. Uh so it's really just their cash-based accounting, small businesses right? And they want to give some consulting, some monthly bookkeeping, some tax prep, some tax planning, audit support, and payroll.
0: And it looks like they are targeting pre-revenue to up to $50 million annually in revenue. So definitely on the small business side and focusing on the market that is traditionally served by accounting firms or zero and QuickBooks.
1: Yeah. I went out to the site. It looks like they don't have prices. When you click the button to get more info, it just takes you into a a calendarly appointment to, to book an appointment for a discussion. So it, it's it's going to be interesting to see where, where what they're going to do with this. Um, I, obviously, they're going to keep trying. Long term, they need to. They need to figure that out. Yeah, well, watch that.
0: I'm a little skeptical of this. I've always said I don't think the Big Four can do small business accounting well, just given their focus on big business. And if you go to the website right now at kpmdspark.com at this moment. There is a under maintenance picture on the website says be back soon. We're currently down for some short maintenance.
1: It was just working five minutes ago, like a half hour ago. I swear I was on the website.
0: So, yeah, I just I mean, well, before we get into the whether or not we think that the big four can actually do this, uh, what is the news about Deloitte?
1: So Deloitte in Canada purchased, uh, I think some of people may know Bob Wang. So his uh, firm, Legacy Advantage Chartered Professional Accountants, um, they are a cloud bookkeeping service that offered some bookkeeping accounting advisory services. They're in uh, Western Canada. They're fairly young. They only founded in 2015. So he's grown his firm. I think it said uh, he has 25 employees that are going to now become Deloitte employees. So that's pretty fast in three years to grow his firm from himself to 25 employees. Mm -hmm. And Deloitte acquired them because Deloitte wants to get into the small business cloud. And it's almost identical article. It's just they acquired a firm and not really a product.
0: So uh, Deloitte and KPMG getting into small business. Here's my prediction for 2019 that we will not see a lot of news come out of this because the cost structure of the big four makes it unaffordable for most small businesses who are pretty price sensitive when it comes to their bookkeeping and tax and accounting. And I just don't see how they're going to be able to compete with small firms, small local firms, with cloud firms, and still deliver a good quality service without some amazing automation technology, which I don't think is involved in any of this.
1: So if I'm hearing you, I'm a small business owner, Joe Small Business. If
0: I wanted to be with Deloitte, I would have been with Deloitte.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So now I'm with Deloitte. Now I'm like, all right, I'm going to go find another accountant. Is that kind of where this is going to head? Yeah,
0: Well, it's just going to be so expensive, right? It's just not going to be affordable. Look at marketing, look at businesses overall and how many businesses are good at serving the entire market all the way from small up to enterprise. Like nobody can do it really well. Very few companies can do it. So I don't know why Deloitte and KPMG think they can do it.
1: And in general, it's very hard to serve small business. And two, it's an exception to this over over the last 40 years. And two, it's really been an exception.
0: It's a huge challenge. And any, any firm owner, anyone who has served small businesses will tell you that it's a real challenge to meet their expectations at the price point that they're expecting. I'm skeptical.
1: I think if you have a firm and you're doing awesome, uh, a cloud firm, there could be a chance you could get acquired too. So
0: yeah, that's, that's the good news is build a, build up an awesome cloud firm and then you'll become a partner at one of the big four because they're desperate to, to grow.
1: (laughs) Actually, I don't think you'd be, uh, it looks like Bob Wang, he's not going to be a partner. I actually noticed that he's going to be a senior advisor. Oh, interesting. Um, and so he was not a partner. So even though it it looks like a fairly big acquisition. I mean, 25 employees, but yeah, it's not enough to get him to be a partner. So that may not be a strategy. (laughs) Got it. I I think kind of a a loosely related uh, here. And then we kind of mentioned Intuit just now, right? Like Intuit's... Has reached small business, right? And they're the exception. So maybe you know KPMG and Deloitte could pull a, a card out of Intuit's playbook. I don't know if you saw the news this week. Intuit is releasing a series of commercials so, and mini, calling a mini films, starring Danny DeVito.
0: Yeah, I'm, I don't know if you saw that. I'm really glad that you you found this article in Accounting Today and sent it to me because I was watching YouTube. I think it might have been yesterday, and I saw this really weird 15 second spot where it was Danny DeVito sleeping and somebody asks him, like, Danny, what are you doing? And he says, I'm updating my inventory. And then it's the QuickBooks <laughs> logo. <laughs> Apparently, Danny DeVito is the new spokesperson for QuickBooks. Yes.
1: Um, and he has a background. He, for him, is personal. His parents had a small business. He watched his sister build a small business. So he's like, really uh, connected to that and wants to help. Um, and the way they're doing it is, Dan, he, I don't know if anybody's seen the commercials yet or any of these uh, videos. He's almost like a coach. So he's coming in, he's giving small business owners like a dog. Uh, I don't know if it's a dog walker or maybe a dog groomer, you know, tips on like, uh, you know, not having to manually type in receipts, doing zero data entry, uh, getting paid instantly. So he's giving a lot of coaching like that. I, I think for me, the big takeaway is, and this is something I saw in a Slack group, really talking about like how this is an example of marketing, no other accounting software, nobody else in the small business game is doing this. Nobody's doing any TV. They're not doing Super Bowl ads. They're not doing anything. And this is why Intuit keeps winning. Yeah. They, well, they play the game and they spend. Well,
0: they're the only big player in the, in the small business technology space. Uh, and yeah, so they're the only ones who can do it. Maybe if KPMG and Deloitte use some of their profits to invest in some marketing to small businesses, they would be successful.
1: But I see KPMG and Deloitte and Accenture, and they all do marketing. It's just they sponsor golf tournaments. Right. Like I yeah. don't think they're speaking yeah. to, they're not speaking to small business. They're, they're owners.
0: marketing in you know CFO magazine or uh, Journal of Accountancy, or they're not they're not finding small business owners where they go, which is like Office Depot. No, totally agree. So what do you have this week? Uh, so getting into politics because it's always a political season here. I came across an article in Technology Review, MIT Technology Review, about a presidential candidate. His name is Andrew Yang. He has announced himself as a 2020 US presidential candidate and his main platform is universal basic income and he believes that automation is the greatest threat facing the country over the next decade. So if you haven't heard of Andrew Yang and I'm sure you probably haven't, he was the CEO of Manhattan Prep, which over the course of his tenure running that company became the number one test prep company uh, in the country. And his platform is, is really interesting. He, he sat down for an interview with Technology Review. They asked him, why is he focused on universal basic income, which is sort of a niche topic. And, and by the way, if you're not familiar with that concept, UBI, universal basic income, basically this idea that we should provide everybody in the country, every citizen, a guaranteed income every month of some amount. And the amounts vary. Some people say it should be you know, a few thousand dollars. The idea is that you would be able to then pay for food and housing and not have to worry about any of that stuff.
1: So, so I'd, I'd, be, I'd get enough to opt out of working. Uh, well, the, the assumption is there's not going to be jobs,
0: as many jobs, so I can just yeah, get enough you, you, basic income to opt you out. You get enough that if you couldn't find a job, you would be able to survive. Uh, and you know, so of course this gets people really riled up because it smacks of socialism, right? You think, oh gosh, you know, uh, what are we, what do we, what would we be doing? Uh, some libertarians actually really like the idea because, um, at least if you're a libertarian, you would be able to get rid of the entire social security infrastructure, all of the food stamps programs, everything that we do. You would simply replace all of that with a check that everybody gets every month. It would basically be like everybody gets social security every month. Mm-hmm. The proponents of UBI, of universal basic income, including Andrew Yang, say this is necessary to do because we are approaching a point at which we will automate most of the jobs that people are doing now, and there simply won't be new jobs for a lot of people. Because uh, if you don't have a college degree, you, you won't be able to get a job. And you know something like only 30-40% of people have college degrees, right? So, huge portion of the of the country is under threat of losing their jobs. And he cites uh, actually the election of Donald Trump. He says that the reason that Donald Trump got elected is because we automated 4 million manufacturing jobs in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Missouri, and Iowa, all the swing states he needed to win and did win. And so he says that actually automation was responsible for, for all of that discontent. And uh, Donald Trump, you know, took advantage of that. And he says, that's just a preview of what's to come. And he uses uh, truck driving as a great example. There are 3.5 million Americans who drive trucks for a living, and an additional 5 million Americans who work at truck stops, motels, and diners who rely on the truck stopping by. So that's 8.5 million jobs. And if you if you follow any of the automation trends with self-driving cars and trucks, it's pretty easy to see all of those jobs or most of those jobs going away in 10 years. And he says, when that happens, we're going to have an even bigger backlash than we saw with uh, the, the folks, you know, supporting Donald Trump, whether or not you agree with them or with the administration, this is something we have to deal with. And so he says, you know, creating a universal basic income is the only way to handle it.
1: So I get the gist of this, right? And I get the gist of in the short term, like, yes, jobs are going away especially for for some like truck drivers it's very obvious the writing's on the wall right semis are just gonna drive themselves right. but I kind of think people miss the point that 20 years from now 30 years from now 70% of the jobs are gonna be they're gonna be new they don't even exist yet um, and if you really go back 30 years ago nobody nobody' was a web developer nobody was a full stack developer there was no such thing as SaaS or cloud or you know like nobody was a cloud accountant right like it's just I don't know I, I think a lot of this is like the sky is falling type stuff. Uh, there, there's going to be new jobs that we don't, we can't even imagine yet.
0: That is true, and the challenge is you can't look at job creation and job destruction in aggregate. You can't if you if you look at it overall, it actually looks good. Um, and there are studies that show that more jobs will be created than are destroyed by automation. But the problem is when you dig into it, you see that the jobs that are created require a lot more education and skills. In general, than the jobs that are destroyed. So this is why we have this weird dual economy going on right now, where you have so much opportunity in the tech world, uh, in the professions, right? I mean, accounting unemployment is like below 2%, right? It's impossible to hire a software engineer these days. But it's not like a guy working in a factory or driving a truck is going to be able to retrain and learn those skills, right? At a certain, <laughs> at a certain point, you you kind of locked in, right? You can, you can gain some skills, but if, if you didn't learn how to be a critical thinker or to do high-level stuff in school, by the time you're 30, like, it's a challenge, right? It's really hard. That's the problem that we have. Actually, this ties in with another article that I ran into uh, on Accounting Today uh, this week. The headline is 140,000... 140,300 new accounting and auditing jobs predicted by 2026. It's featuring a recent study by the Pew Research Center, which found that 48% of Americans are somewhat worried that their job could be taken over by a robot, and 25% are very worried about this prospect. But despite those fears, the unemployment rate is at its lowest point since 1969. Accounting and auditing jobs are in the top something like five of fast-growing professions, which is topped by home health and professional care aides, waiters, food service and cooks, software developers, operations managers, nursing assistants, construction laborers, and then accountants and auditors. So so this is going back to that um, universal basic income, automation fear. Accounting and auditing is one of those professions where we actually don't have to worry about automation stealing our jobs. As long as we can continue to learn new skills, we can ride on top of that automation wave. And we can get rid of the boring stuff that we have been doing historically. We can do much, much more interesting work. And it's not hard for an accountant to learn new skills. Not nearly as difficult as, say, a truck driver to become an accountant or to become a software developer or something else. Even a truck driver retraining to be a home health care aide, the kind of person that would want to be a truck driver, can you see them necessarily wanting to be a home health care aide? it's it's a challenge. And so we're developing into this bifurcated economy where there's so much opportunity for people in one side and and everybody else is getting left behind. So I'm not saying I necessarily agree with Andrew Yang's universal basic income platform, but I find it appealing because I don't see how else we're going to overcome all the social unrest that will come from tens of millions of people Losing their jobs and not being able to find new ones while the rest of the economy just hums along and 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 people continue to get richer and richer
1: I think it's one to watch i don't know i mean I, I, I do think there's a little over fear happening, but his argument makes sense, right and the universal basic income is interesting because if you go universal, you could Really save a bunch of government money, right? Because instead of having fifteen different programs which we do now, right, we'd have this one one program to rule them all.
0: And and a lot of the programs that we have now are very localized, right? So if you live in a city where you have access to all sorts of housing assistance and food stamps or whatnot, like it might be easier to actually get those services. Whereas if you live out in rural America, it could be challenging. And actually, I got another I got another article that ties into this. Okay which is in the New York Times. It's called Digital Divide is Wider Than We Think, study says, and it is all about a Microsoft study that found that a lot of people in this country, especially in rural America, don't have access to broadband internet. Microsoft uh, said that 163 million people do not use the Internet at broadband speeds, which is just a shocking number to me. That's
1: like one-third of the
0: country, right? It's crazy, right? I mean, I can't remember how many people (sighs) live here, but it's like, what? I mean, we're at least 300 million people in the U.S., right? Yeah. And here's the thing is that the FCC says that broadband is not available to about 25 million Americans. So something about how the FCC is calculating broadband availability is different than what Microsoft found. And the discrepancy is really stark in rural areas. The article cites an example in Ferry County, where Microsoft estimates that only 2% of people use broadband service versus the 100% the federal government says have access to this service. So going back to the idea of we have like two different economies, two different Americas, there is the America of the, the coast of the cities, where we have access to, I mean, I have gigabit internet in my office right here. And it's necessary for us to do our our work because we're a cloud accounting company. And, you know, you go out to a rural County and you can't even get broadband. You have, you're stuck with dial up or DSL or something like that.
1: I don't know how much I agree with the numbers here because I I think it's how you define broadband and you can get high speed cell phones everywhere now. And I would argue that's broadband.
0: Well, here's the thing is it's like, high speed for for cell phone that's like 4G right but i don't think 4G is really all that prevalent outside of cities
1: know, i've been to podunk south dakota and i have 4G there and anywhere you know i've connected into i just these these numbers don't i, I feel like the fcc number might be more accurate 24 million
0: really um, do you think microsoft uh, is being self serving here i mean it's not like they're 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 not a provider of broadband
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it looks like Microsoft's accounting a little bit different because they're saying like people don't use it. So it could be available, but only
0: 2% are choosing to use it. But right? maybe, they, or
1: they can afford to pay for it or wherever that might be.
0: Yeah. yeah, and maybe that's the problem is that out in rural America, broadband is really expensive. And I've, I've actually heard this from a few folks, a few prospects of Flowcast. We have actually heard this around the office where uh, one of our sales reps will call out to somewhere in South Dakota, for instance. And they will be explaining the you know, value, pitching the value of using cloud software of cloud ERP and accounting to a controller or an accountant. And that accountant will say, well, how am I supposed to use cloud software, software as a service, when I don't have reliable broadband internet? And it just blows our minds. That's the problem right? They would love to switch to a cloud product, but they can't rely on the fact that everybody will have access to it at reasonable speeds.
1: Yeah. And then I've heard, I've heard from some, uh, a couple of accountants and bookkeepers that have, you know, maybe some clients that either have a bar or a restaurant and they can't really go to a cloud point of sale just because it's not reliable
0: enough. And I think uh, that, uh, Rachel Fish has talked about this being an issue in some parts of Canada. Right. Like you can't switch to a cloud accounting system because you need, to say, on premises, because if you've got a bunch of people out in the field in rural areas, they aren't necessarily going to have a good connection with their phone or mobile hotspot. That makes sense. Yeah. So I I don't know. I mean, maybe this is the theme of this episode, which is the the digital divide. Right. The digital divide in terms of automation, whether that's going to take your job or keep your job or, or help you. Uh, improve your job, uh, whether or not you're going to have a job. I feel like broadband is the key. If you don't have access to broadband internet, how do you get any of these new jobs that are being created, which all tend to be online, unless you want to be a you know home healthcare aide?
1: So I think that goes back to your presidential candidate. Maybe he should be running on, I'm going to deliver Broadband. Everybody should just get broadband, maybe, instead of your universal basic income. And the rest well, of this happened naturally.
0: I would definitely support free broadband internet for everybody over free college tuition. I mean, I think that would be much more valuable.
1: Wow. All right. Wow, uh, we're getting very political, like two weeks in a row. Last week is like, we should have <laughs> cloud bookkeepers in Congress. Now we're saying we should give broadband uh, internet over college tuition. We, we're, we're tipping to new new, new uh, areas on the uh, cloud accounting podcast.
0: So if anybody wants to disagree with you or agree with you online, what's the best way for them to do that, Blake? Please tweet at me. I'm at Blake T. Oliver or connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear your opinions on universal basic income, whether or not automation is going to take all of our jobs and whether or not we are in for even more political dissension and disconnect than we have already right now.
1: And if you want to get a hold of me, I'm at David Leary on Twitter. I think that's a wrap.
0: Great talking with you, David, and I'll see you here next week. Bye, Blake.